Thanks, Kate, for leading us. Thanks, Kieran, for sharing. Great to hear from you. Uh, let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Father, we thank you that we can gather together this morning as your people, and as we look at this passage in your Word that speaks about who we are in such grand terms, we thank you for the presence of your Spirit, the same Spirit who caused these words to be written all those centuries ago. We pray that your Spirit would give us understanding, and we pray that your Spirit would make these truths, um, would engrave them on our hearts, that we would uh, believe them deep down in our souls, that we'd be shaped by them, that our lives would reflect the truth of what you declare to us here. We pray for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, please um, keep that passage open in one Peter. We're going to be focusing in on verses 9 to 12 of chapter 2, uh, but a quick skim through the rest of it. And I'm going to give these booklets to Jack to hand around. These are booklets to cover the um, Joining In series as a whole. Uh, they're roughly what we might um, use in the Joining In course when we run that term by term on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, so you can kind of skim through and hopefully... Um, you'll see things that look familiar from the last two weeks. And then at some point in the middle, uh, maybe just into the second half, there's a page that talks about the priority of mission. And that is where we are today. It's got those verses from 1 Peter 2 printed. Bit of an outline for this talk. And then there's some more stuff after that, which we'll come to later. Uh, please resist the temptation to, to read ahead. So uh, over these three weeks of the Joining In series, we've looked at three big priorities for us as a church, the gospel, community, and mission. Three big priorities for this church. I would argue three big priorities for any church. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the image of the gospel as a seed, a seed that brings new life. In people, And in this passage in 1 Peter uh, that we've just had read, Peter uses that uh, same image. So chapter 1 verse 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So that the seed of God's word, the seed of the gospel brings new life. And can you see that it's because of that new birth that we're to love one another. That the new life that the gospel brings about is a life characterized by love. That the new life is life within a loving community, a loving family. And so Peter says in the verse before, verse 22, we are to love one another earnestly, sincerely, deeply, and from the heart. The gospel seed not only produces fruit in our lives, it also multiplies out from us uh, to others around us. Or to change the metaphor again, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, that the gospel is like music. It's like sound energy that comes into a person. It's heard, it's received, it's accepted. And then it resonates within us, shaping us, transforming us, um, making us dance to its music, if you like. So it resonates within us, and then it reverberates out from us as we show and share the gospel. 
And that's really what we're thinking about today, that reverberating out, the priority of mission. In the verses we're focusing in, um, verses 9 to 12, Peter says more about our identity as God's people. Uh, He describes the life-changing privileges and the life-directing purpose of being God's people. Let me say that again. He's describing here the the life-changing privileges and the life-directing purpose that we have as people of God. So we're going to start off thinking about the life-changing privileges. I'm going to draw out six of the words or phrases that he uses to describe the church, to describe God's people. Firstly, as you see, they're strangers and exiles, or as the NIV has it, foreigners and exiles there in verse 11. We are foreigners and exiles in the world. If we've come to Christ, then we have a new identity. We have, if you like, a new home with God. The world is no longer our home. Here we are strangers, foreigners, exiles. There's a sense in which we don't belong in this world anymore. Now, people always feel a bit uncomfortable about strangers, foreigners, don't they? They're, they're often, they often receive opposition and rejection. And so we shouldn't be surprised if we face rejection and opposition from the world. But we're not just foreigners and exiles. We are elect exiles. Uh, We may face rejection from the world, but Peter says we're chosen by God. That's the second identity he talks about. Uh, Verse 9, we are God's chosen people. Everyone wants to be chosen, don't they? Everyone wants to be wanted. Whether it's picking teams in the school playground or putting your profile up on a dating site, everyone wants to be chosen. The gospel tells us that God has chosen us. That he chose us before the creation of the world that he sees us and he knows us completely and he wants us. Verse 4 of chapter 2 says that Christ was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. And so we, his people, may well face rejection from the world but we can take great comfort that we too are chosen by God and precious to him. Thirdly, Peter says we are a royal priesthood. This identity speaks of great privilege and also great responsibility. As priests of God, we have access to God's very presence. And there is no greater privilege in all the world. Psalm 84 says... How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Just think about the places that you would most like to visit, the places that you enjoy most. Psalm 84 says, one day in God's presence is better than three years anywhere else. What a privilege. 
we have access to the very presence of the living God. As priests, we also have the privilege and the responsibility of representing God to people and people to God. Being a priest is about being a mediator, a a go-between. We mediate through prayer, bringing the needs of people we know before God, pleading with him to bless, to protect, to save. And we mediate, we represent God to people as we speak out his word, as we declare his praise, as we share the gospel. So we're a royal priesthood. Fourthly, we're a holy nation. We're a set-apart people. We're special to God. We're called to live distinctive lives. Not called to withdraw from the world, as some through church history have done, but to live distinctive lives in the midst of the world. To be, if you like, an alternative community within the communities of our culture. As Peter says in verses 11 and 12, we're to abstain from sinful desires and live good lives that others might be drawn in and uh, come to glorify God with us. Good lives that reflect our good and holy God. Fifthly, we are God's special possession or his treasured possession. It's as if God is saying here, the whole universe belongs to me, But of everything I own, you are my treasure. I would give anything for you. And so he has. In the giving of his son, in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. There's an old Easter hymn that says, Amazing love, oh what sacrifice, the son of God given for me. It is an incredible truth, a a life-changing reality to grasp that the God who made the universe loves you so passionately that he was willing to give his only beloved son to die in agony in your place so that you might be embraced as his treasure and delight. We need to pray, don't we, that the Holy Spirit would make these gospel truths real to us you know that's a big part of the ministry of the spirit to to make the truths about Jesus fresh and real in our lives to take the truths we believe in our heads and make them experientially true in our hearts may he do that right here right now finally Peter says we are recipients of mercy once we were not God's people Now we are incredibly blessed, incredibly privileged. And others around us are still not God's people. They're still living in darkness. They haven't been called into God's wonderful light. And it's worth asking, what's made the difference? Why do we have this privilege and others don't? Is it because we're better? Is it because we're smarter? Is it because we're more deserving? No. What's made the difference? Mercy. On Monday night at the prayer meeting, we were reflecting on Psalm 103, where we're 
told that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but lavishes blessing and kindness upon us to the praise of his mercy and grace. Friends, what a privilege we enjoy. We, we, we may not be honored in the world, and that shouldn't be a surprise. We're foreigners and exiles. We may feel weak and insignificant. We may be very conscious of our own sinfulness, but we are recipients of God's extravagant mercy. We've been chosen by God to be his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his own treasured possession. That's the privilege of being God's people. What about the purpose? Well, when you're reading the New Testament, particularly New Testament epistles, it's always helpful to look at the connecting words. Words like since and therefore and because and so that. And that's what we've got here in verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That or so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why did God save you? It's a good question to ask and reflect on, and there are lots of answers that we could give. I think the Bible gives us two big answers. One of them talks about that the reason why God has saved us, his motivation, and the other talks about the purpose for which God has saved us. Why did God save us? Well, the reason is love. And the purpose is praise. We've been saved in order to declare the praises of the God who saved us, who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is our purpose as God's people, to tell the world how wonderful God is. We do this in part in Sundays when we sing in praise of God. And wasn't that a great song to sing at the start? All my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. To just celebrate God's goodness to us. We, we do it on Sundays as we rehearse all that God's done for us in Jesus, as we remind each other and anyone who visits us of how good God is. But we can also praise God in our personal conversations. You know, I can praise my wife to you, I can tell you how wonderful Corinne is, what a loving wife, what an, an excellent mother. And we can do the same with God. Whenever we speak about the goodness of God in our lives, his goodness in saving us, his faithfulness in providing for us, his patience with us, his kindness to us. We're praising God. This declaring God's praise is related to our priestly identity, as I said earlier. We're representing God to people, showing them what our God is like. There's also a sense in which we can show people what God's like by the way that we live. And that's what Peter goes on to talk about in verses 11 and 12. We're a holy nation called to live such good lives among the pagans, lives that, lives that reflect our good and holy gods, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, most of the commentators here agree that Paul is talking about people who've been converted by the the witness of the church. And on the day that God visits us, the day Jesus returns, they'll be among those glorifying gods. But it's striking that the witness Peter is talking about here is the witness of our, our lives. Christians are to be known in the world for their good deeds. We're to be known not just for what we're against, but for what we're for. We want people in Croydon and the surrounding suburbs to to say, we don't believe what you believe, but we're so glad that you're here. We love that you're here. We'd hate you to leave. One of the commentators says, The most effective evangelism is not necessarily the the big crusade with the famous evangelist, but rather the sustained witness of the godly lives of ordinary Christians. Jesus said something similar, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Back in December, I mentioned this book, Promoting the Gospel, by John Dixon. I think I encouraged you to maybe read it over the summer. I don't know if you have, but um, let me commend it to you again, because it's so helpful in showing us the different ways that we can be engaged in promoting the gospel. You know, we're not all gifted evangelists, but we are all witnesses. We're all gifted witnesses, gifted in different ways to engage in God's mission in different ways. We want everyone at Barney's to serve with their gifts. And the danger when we talk like that is that you can think, well, I'm not gifted in the area of mission, so I'll let others do that and I'll get on with something else. But what's clear, I think, here in 1 Peter and in the Great Commission and elsewhere through the New Testament is that we are all called to be engaged in mission. It's our identity. We are witnesses to Jesus. We'll engage in different ways, and that's where this book is so helpful, in showing the different ways we can be engaged in promoting the gospel through our prayers, through our money, through the works of the church, our care for the poor and needy, through our Christian behavior, our friendship, our hospitality, through our public praise, through our daily conversations. And there's a beautiful story at the end of the book in which he he kind of draws it all together and shows how different members of the body of Christ were all involved in helping this one person come to faith. Brothers and sisters, this is our purpose. This is the purpose of our lives. Have you grasped that? We we need to guard against anything else getting in the way, distracting us from this grand purpose of bringing glory to God, of declaring the praise of God, of making him known in the world and helping people hear the good news. And can you see how the privileges we were thinking about lead to the purpose? 
If we really grasp how privileged we are, how abundantly blessed we are, how incredibly good and kind and loving God has been to us, if we grasp those things, we won't be able to help ourselves from speaking out of how good God is. If we find ourselves not overflowing with gratitude and praise, the answer is not more willpower, but more gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to pray that God, by his spirit, will enable us to really believe what he's done for us and what's now true of us. Because to the degree that we grasp this privilege, we will live for this purpose. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank and praise you for your extravagant mercy to us. We praise you for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. We praise you for the mission of the Lord Jesus, that he came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost. We thank you for his his mediating work that through his life and death and resurrection he's made the way for us to be reconciled to you. For we were not your people. We were not deserving to be your people. We were in darkness. And yet in your mercy you chose us, you saved us, you called us into your wonderful light to to be your royal priesthood, your holy nation, your special treasured possession. We pray by your Holy Spirit you'd make these truths real to us. Help us to grasp how blessed we are, how privileged we are, how good and kind you are. That we might be compelled to live out our purpose, to declare your praises, to tell the world who you are and what you've done so that many more might come to share in the blessings of the gospel. For your glory we pray. Amen.